0: Welcome back everybody. Uh, We've kind of fallen into like a one a month episode because we're doing this off the side of our desks. So thank you for sticking with us and being patient. Uh, This is Queer Halftime. My name is Becca, I use she, they pronouns and I'm here with a very fun guest. Our first like TV star celebrity type person, Lily.
1: Thank you. I mean, technically I wouldn't give myself quite that much credit yet. (laughs) I starred in a show. I don't know if I'm a TV star yet. <laughs> um, and I also use she, her pronouns for the record.
0: Perfect. And uh, what do you want people to know about you?
1: Ooh. okay. Well, my name is Lily Kashmira. Um, I am here because I acted in a um, TV show for CBC Gem called I Hate People, People Hate Me, which is a sort of dark, messy look at the nitty gritty of um, queer life um, and especially people who are doubly marginalized within queer communities. Um, The creator and star, uh, my co-star Bobby Summers is a queer Palestinian man and I'm a trans woman. Um, So sort of looking at life from the perspective of those who are the marginalized within the marginalized and what it's like for them to negotiate with sort of queer hegemony within their own scenes and also go through a bunch of different kinds of emotional reckonings as, as they undergo that process but in a very um silly zany cartoony you know gross way um we have we have a lot of fun with a lot of dark material
0: that's awesome and i'm glad you brought up yeah the kind of doubly marginalized because i think that's something we talk about a lot especially in queer spaces people having to kind of choose parts of their identity um, rather than showing up as their whole selves and Yeah, I think it's really easy to break it down to like, oh, well, we're all against homophobia. It's like, okay, well, what about also racism or ableism or transphobia and things like that? So I love Mm -hmm. that y'all focus on that.
1: Yeah, yeah, there's definitely, I think, a sense among the characters of this sort of alienation from the more like now somewhat more broadly accepted and more like straight people friendly, you know, Mm -hmm. fit, white, cis, gay guy culture that they both feel very much sort of excluded and alienated from and, again, are negotiating their way through those spaces in very, very different ways.
0: Mm -hmm. And what was it like filming?
1: (laughs) Filming was wild. Um, It took a
0: little bit, didn't it?
1: It did, yeah. We had quite a long development period um, for a bunch of reasons. namely just like covid delays and stuff so it was quite Mm -hmm. an ordeal getting our shoot dates and then once we got them it was immediately just like go it was like years and years and years of waiting and then all of a sudden it's like hey you're gonna be on set in three weeks and so it was yeah this sort of six-week whirlwind of like three weeks of pre-production and then three weeks of shooting and all very intense you know we were trying to you know do even more than the most we could with what we had um and so I'm really grateful to our crew, especially because everyone just turned it up a thousand percent and supported us so much and really were just as committed to the vision of the show as we were, which felt really good because a show like this, you don't always know how everyone's going to take it. So the fact that, you know, our team was behind us and everyone really rallied to get it through, you know, our quite quite insane shooting schedule, um, you know, in Toronto in the middle of winter was, was really, really something. And I'm very, very grateful for that. Yeah,
0: I bet it was a little chilly, hey?
1: (laughs) At parts, yeah. Yeah, there are a couple scenes where like, thankfully, you know, the cameras hide the fact that we're like freezing our faces off because it's like minus 30 with the wind chill.
0: (laughs) That's so brutal, yeah. And I feel like they can't just put you in a parka for fun. like
1: i mean we were but it kind of like still wasn't enough well i was grateful because my character wears like a very heavy jacket when she's outside for the most part so i was like okay i got it a little bit easier and also you know i'm from alberta so i have a bit of the Mm built-in winter resilience but then you're like oh i have to like do this emotionally potent scene and can't like move the muscles in my face because i can't feel them so i don't know how i'm gonna get through this Um, there was a little bit of that to the point where, yeah, when we were coming out of the season, Bobby at one point was just like, "I'm writing, I'm setting season two in a sauna, like, <laughs> no more on location in the wintertime." No, thank.
0: You. Is there going to be a season two then?
1: Ah, uh, we can't really talk about that. Um, Fair. Fully yet, we're very much hoping there is, of course. Um, but the exact fingers crossed. Thank you, fingers crossed. Yeah, the exact details of um of how that's going to shake out for us are all uh, all still to be decided but hopefully we will be back we've been sort of touting our idea for season two is that we just wanted to be like bigger battered sadder just like go <laughs> as weird and ambitious with it as we possibly can and sort of crank up everything about the show um that was already there in season one um and just expand on it
0: for sure and what's the reception been like so far
1: Um, The reception has been really interesting and we were really fortunate to um, have quite a long rollout at a bunch of different festivals in the States. Um, And that was a really amazing experience just because when you live with a project like this for so long, you know, for years, it just, it lives in our head and then, you know, you shoot it, but then it lives in an edit suite for months at a time. So you really forget that you made something real. So it was really, it's been amazing just to like show it to people and to have people watching it um, to remind us that like we actually made a thing that actually like is resonating with people. Um, I think really more than the mass response even just like getting to talk to people at screenings of the show and have them, you know, talk about the specifics of like oh I was so taken aback by that part or so moved by this part we. um When we premiered the show at Hot Docs in Toronto last month in November, um, it was the first time we screened the series front to back for a crowd and it was so amazing to see. um Just what people reacted to that we weren't expecting. You know, there were moments that got awes. There were moments that, you know, we thought we're going to get laughs, but didn't, and people kind of winced at, or then, you know, moments that we didn't realize were funny and people were like losing it at. um, And it really, really gave us a new perspective um, on sort of what we had done. So, yeah, just getting that kind of feedback has been um, really, really nice. And I mean, hopefully that just, you know, carries on more from here as more and more people get their eyes on it.
0: Yeah, for sure. And was this kind of your first like, film or like like professional role or
1: yes totally i very much ended up here a little bit like by mistake
0: um i mean maybe not mistake maybe just like a happy accident
1: no no, no very happy accident i mean the whole thing has been happy accidents <laughs> truly it's been very very serendipitous um because I mean, I met Bobby when I moved to Toronto in 2019 uh, from Edmonton and he had just moved back to Toronto from LA where he had been in the music industry for the previous decade. And we were both just sort of encountered each other in the standup scene there and, you know, got along, were colleagues, um, but didn't really bond super duper hard. Uh, but Bobby was already writing the show at that point, he said, um, and sort of realized when he saw me like, oh, like this, I think this person I just met might be like the character I'm writing um and I didn't know any of this at the time it wasn't until years later that he reached out to me like hey can you act and I was like I can try (laughs) for you I don't know no promises um and then from there I auditioned and over the course of the auditioning process a lot of the conversations we had about the show um sort of led Bobby to being like, hey, whether or not you get cast, I want you like involved in this as a creative voice because I love the way you you know think about the character and think about what you're doing, which was really exceedingly kind of him. Um, and so then uh, thankfully I got cast as well. And yeah, it was very much this moment of like, oh crap, is this like my career now? <laughs> is this what it's gonna be? <laughs> Cause I didn't, you know, um, especially when I was growing up in Alberta, there was no like, industry or, or film culture at the time so it was completely yeah even though I wanted to like go to Toronto to make a big and stand up I never thought I would get anywhere close to that world um so yeah I just got a very very fortunate window into it that I think you know most actual working actors who like try hard and send in self tapes and stuff would be like infuriated at me for um but yeah thankfully um thankfully it all worked out and so because of that I mean the whole thing has just been an unbelievable learning process of just, you know, you're, you're on the fly learning in real time, how actually like making and shooting and promoting a TV show works. Um, and because it was both of our first times, like doing this sort of thing, you know, there was just a lot of real-time lessons. And I think part of why we're so hopeful for making a second season is just, there's a lot of stuff that you can't, learn uh about how to do this sort of thing until you're sort of confronted with those situations in real time and now having been through a lot of those situations and not necessarily tumultuous situations to be clear just like the creative Mm -hmm. challenges you run into in a complicated operation like this we have such a better sense now i think of you know because especially like we can get so carried away in our imaginations writing um right and we had a couple occasions where like you know we had this scene that we were so excited to do and then we got to set and it was so so challenging and we were like why did we sign ourselves up for this joke like we did not think this little like throwaway gag or whatever was going to be so much effort like you don't think a 30 second cutaway joke is going to take like 3 hours to shoot but sometimes it does um and so now we have i think a real sense of you know what it means to not just put something on the page but sort of what that journey is from page to screen and i think that's going to inform um a lot of what we have in mind for a second season if we get to make one um in a really exciting way i think it's just you know it's going to make it so much better now that we actually like not that we didn't know what we were doing before but we understand the process in a really really tangible way that i think there was just no way to before we sort of dove headlong into it
0: for sure and i think yeah like once you kind of have seen it before you can play with it a little bit more you kind of have a better sense of what you can do but that's really cool i had no idea tabitha was like kind of written for you
1: neither did i bobby only told me that recently he was like i saw you on stage and i was like oh that's her and i was like i had no idea like i thought it was a total fluke i got cast
0: do you think if you had known before it would have been like this is too much pressure
1: Uh, No, I actually think it would have been the opposite. I think it was very good that I didn't know. And I'm grateful he told me sort of once, you know, we'd gone through everything. um, Because I like really, really tried hard at my auditions. Because I was like, I do think I want this. And I feel like I have zero chance of getting it. Like I was like, we'll audition just to do it and say we did, because it would kill me if I pass this up. But like, there's no way this is actually going to lead anywhere. Um, And I think Mm -hmm. if I had had the mindset going in that it was forgone or something i don't know maybe i would have just gotten like complacent or feeling a little bit entitled about like well this is getting handed to me or whatever um so i think coming in feeling like i needed to overachieve just because i had never done anything like that before probably you know was beneficial to me in the wrong long run and probably helped me get cast
0: and have you had people like talk to you since it came out about like Um, just, like, the representation aspect of it and, like, seeing, you know, a trans woman on CBC and, like, a gay Mm -hmm. Palestinian on CBC. Like, there's always this conversation about, like, oh, well, actors are actors, you know, they can play whoever. But I think there is a lot of merit to casting people who actually, like, live it.
1: Yeah, definitely. And, I mean, the fact that this is a project coming from those kinds of voices, I think, is really important. And, yeah, the representation question is always such a tricky thing because on the one hand, you don't want to consign the project or any project just to like its representational aspects. Like there's more mm-hmm. to the text than just like who the people behind the text are. Oh, absolutely. Are. Um, but at the same time, yeah it's, um, yeah, it's really something and I'm really grateful to be a part of it. I even had a moment, um, we were very lucky to screen at a festival the other weekend, um, Imagination in Montreal, uh, which is their queer festival. And it was like the five billionth time that I'd watched the second episode. Um, but the second episode sort of opens proper with this really like steamy makeout scene. And I was like, mm. oh, is this is like a queer erotic scene between two men of color, like at the beginning of a comedy, like this is really wild that we got to like pull this off. Um, and so I think, I won't speak for Bobby, but at the very least for my part as how, as for how i've approached it representationally like i didn't i think especially among trans people we get we can get really caught up in the notion of like firsts um and you know in media narratives mm-hmm. like every trans person who does something successfully you know has to be branded as like the first person to do such and such or whatever and i didn't ever mm-hmm. really want to like lean into my transness that way when it came to the narrative of the show and also you know, just like point blank, like I'm not the first like skinny blonde trans girl to get on TV in the last decade. Like we've had a lot of those. And so for me, it was more about like, what can I bring to the text of the character that is not something we've seen very much of for like any trans character up until now. And I've talked about before, I think there is this sort of like Again, I won't claim to like speak for absolutely every trans person, but you know, I- I've noticed in the discourse there's this sort of lingering dissatisfaction about like, yay, you know, we broke through the tipping point or whatever. Um, and now we're on TV a whole bunch. But, you know, there can be questions as to like how much of the ways that we're on TV are actually like reflecting our real lives as we know them. You know, I think there can be a sense mm-hmm. of kind of detachment in there especially when there are trans people and sister and product projects now there can be a sort of touchiness around representing us in complex ways that I think it, it almost went from like we were unilaterally demonized to now we can get put on like a little bit of a pedestal sometimes and you feel like you're being handled with oven mitts in terms of like how yeah. people are seeing you more broadly and I really wanted to just sort of like steer away from that notion and like make a character who would resonate with you know all of my friends who who was sort of born out of the specificities of this like contemporary you know 20 something trans girl existence and what that sensibility is and what that sort of mindset is um Mm -hmm. i said in another q a that like i just wanted tabitha to feel like the most annoying bitch on trans twitter right (laughs) (laughs) you know that every every other trans person who comes across the project is going to feel like either like they used to know her, they do know her, uh, they are her currently, or they used to be her, right? Um,
0: For sure.
1: Yeah, that was very much what I had in mind. And it just felt like, especially when I was cast on the show a couple years ago, that there wasn't very much of that happening um, Mm -hmm. in the media. And now, thankfully, like, especially in Canada, um, there's been this real, like, second wave renaissance of like trans representation um that is really rooted now and now that we've sort of established our humanity on screen and no longer have to like argue for it every time we show up that we can actually just yeah. like present our lives as they are so like uh what Bilal Bag's done was sort of um has been amazing on that front um another gem show that came out uh this fall uh how to fail as a pop star by Vivek Shraya um the movie that came out earlier this year is something you said last night, um, directed mm. by Luis de Philippa, starring uh, Carmen Madonia. Like, these are like three Canadian projects to have all really broken out within the last year um, that are really, I think, pushing things forward on that. And I mean, you know, I'm not going to get like too big about myself or anything just yet, but like if, you know, if Tabitha as a character can contribute to that in some way that that's sort of like all i've ever wanted for her and just for other people of my generation of my little subculture and sensibility to feel seen by her because i think it's one of those you know corners of the culture that can really get like overlooked especially when it comes to mainstream representation a lot of the time
0: absolutely and like i feel like when representation is done by people who aren't members of the group it's very like the punchlines are about, you know, their race or their sexuality or their gender. Whereas like Tabitha, like the jokes aren't about necessarily her being trans, like they're about her being like a little bit of a fuck up. (laughs) Like
1: Mm -hmm, Exactly. (laughs) And, you know, very pointedly, like we never really speak directly to either character's identity. Um, You just kind of are. Yeah. Yeah. We just kind of are, uh, you know, there are moments where that maybe comes to the surface a little bit more prominently, but very crucially, it's like, you know, their identity, so to speak, is not necessarily what the emotional thrust of the show is or like their relationship with their identity. It's really more about their relationship with the ways their identities have sort of put them at odds with their community and what that has done to them emotionally and the different ways they sort of find to work through that and maybe learn that they can be like a little bit more than their damage in the process.
0: Like I said, I've only watched the first yeah, almost two episodes, but like in the first one, there was this one bit in like a diner that made me laugh, where he saw me this like white like twink. Basically, it's like yeah, people think I haven't struggled, and <laughs> Joey's like yeah, but you haven't. It's like- <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah, I love people's response to that line. It, it always lends so well. And Bobby like delivered that. So perfectly.
0: yeah, it was really <laughs> well done. It made me because we talk a lot about like, capital G gay versus like queer. Um, mm-hmm. A lot, especially in June, right of the very like, yeah, palatable versus, you know, the queer and the different and people who are maybe a little harder to swallow
1: yeah yeah that was very much sort of our ambition from the start was to make something that wasn't like that was in opposition to you know um like bank pride float gay
0: <laughs> yeah i think i think yeah you definitely succeeded on that <laughs> that's
1: good thank you <laughs> i'm glad
0: <laughs> i'm curious if this is like kind of unrelated but because some of it is quite raunchy right and <laughs> I'm curious if you ever thought about like your family watching it because like I know your mom right and she has been mm-hmm. talking about the filming and there is a little bit of trepidation she's like yeah there's a scene where Lily's in a bathtub and like she was a little bit like <laughs> I'm gonna watch it and I'm gonna support the hell out of her but also as her mom I'm a little bit like yeah like was there that like did you watch it with your mom at all or like hear her
1: uh I did. So I didn't watch it with her just because I'm in Toronto and she's in Alberta right right now. Yeah, yeah, that conversation came up a little. um, I remember like right after we shot, I don't remember what scene I was mentioning or something. Or maybe she actually just asked me, outright. She was like, by the way, like, how lewd is this? Just because as your mom and like someone who wants to, you know, show it to like she was outlining that same conflict. I was like, yeah, there's intimate yeah. stuff, but like nothing too, too intimate for me. I don't know. Oh yeah, it was because I mentioned we had an intimacy coordinator and she was like, for what? <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I did start to get a little more, I didn't really think of that while we were like writing and rehearsing, you know, it just sort of was what it was. And also you're like when you're in that development stage, you're like, well, no one's actually going to see this. So like, you know, let's just go full bore with everything. Right. And yeah, it wasn't until like, it was starting to become more and more of a real thing that I was like, right, this is becoming more and more of a real thing. Um, Yeah. So it's like, with her, I wasn't too worried because it's like, I don't know, like, we've watched Sense8 and Euphoria, like together, you know, <laughs> um, we don't really have, you know, have that sort of right. like, Strain, but then she was visiting my grandparents when the show came out and my whole thing is i was was like how about also because like god knows how they're you know gonna get it Mm -hmm. to their tv um we just hold off on showing them the show for now and then you know i can watch it with them at christmas so you know i can kind of pause and give my director's commentary to like explain Mm -hmm. myself that'd be fun (laughs) Um, and then she just texted me like the day the show came out and was like, we're watching it now. And I was like, who's watching it? She was like, all three of us. And I was like, are you sure? (laughs) You sure you want to do this? Like, let me know if you need me to like call and apologize or whatever. Um, And then afterwards she was, I was like, how'd they take it? Like, do I need to like have a conversation or something? And they were like, oh no, they loved it. They were totally fine with it. (laughs) And I think it is that thing of like, your family members sort of like let their scruples go by the wayside when it's a thing you're involved in right you know like i think if it was anyone else in that show they probably would have despised it but (laughs) because they got to be like look it's her you know they didn't necessarily care what exactly i was doing as her so fortunately you know there was no no tension there and also like i'm lucky to have an absurdly supportive family anyways so Hmm. It's not something I was too worried about, but as it came time for the show to come out, like you do get more self conscious because you're like, right, right, like people are going to see this stuff. People I know are going to see this stuff. And like, yeah, it's a character, but it's also me. And right. I don't know. Um, but thankfully, you know, that's all been fine so far.
0: Yeah, I'm just always curious when people like film things, especially if there's like something kind of more lewd in it or something. I'm like, I wonder if they thought about if they had like a little moment. Of like oh people who know me are gonna yeah watch this
1: <laughs> yeah yeah I definitely did during a couple of my intimate scenes it, although at the same time as an actor like you also really can't let yourself think about that just gonna because mm-hmm. it's gonna pull you out of the, sure, truth yeah. of the scene so you do compartmentalize and you're like okay this is just what we're doing and it's very you know stale and clinical and you know everything's very procedural so I don't have anything to worry about um and then yeah like they call cut and you're like, right, people are going to watch that.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I love that intimacy coordinators are like becoming like, I feel like more of a thing that Mm -hmm. makes me very happy. I mean, I even just went to a play recently and there was, yeah, an intimacy coordinator, like just for like a makeout scene. Right. I think that's, Mm -hmm. I think a really positive, you know, trajectory that things are going on
1: yeah totally I mean there's such a wonderful I don't want to say like invention because I don't know when the role sort of was first you know solidified but really in the last five years they've become the norm more often than not um and I think it is really really wonderful for a bunch of reasons primarily just because to be honest they like make the scene better um when we were talking with ours Mimi Cote who's this like amazing French Canadian woman um you know her thing is she was like I really view myself as like more of a problem solver, like I want to figure out how to like honor your boundaries, but in a way that like makes the scene more interesting and makes it better visually, like she really approached it like a filmmaker, which I was quite surprised by. I thought it was gonna be a little more of like a hall monitor situation right. but she was like and like giving me acting tips too of like you know, okay, like when you do this with your arm, make sure you do it from the shoulder because that's what's gonna sell on camera like that's what's gonna read visually, and I was like, okay, good to know um and it does just make you feel like so much safer and more protected just to know that as an actor you're not burned with the responsibility of like standing up for your own boundaries right um,
0: right there's someone paid to do that that is yeah. their job
1: yeah it's their whole job and I remember even actually for that bathtub scene uh in the pilot like I was like well I'm gonna be under the water so like whatever maybe it doesn't need to be there and then like two minutes later once I had like gotten changed and was ready to go do the scene i was like actually can she she come down um just because you know it soothes you i think and is another thing that allows you to like stay in the scene more because you're not thinking about all the stuff around the scene and what you're doing with your body within the scene um you know you're just in it and this other person like you said it's it's their job to think about all that stuff so i was really really grateful to have her on set
0: yeah, just like an advocate kind of in your corner there for mm-hmm. you. That's, yeah, that's got to be a huge load off.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and also especially as a first-time actor, like your first oh, element yeah. intimate scenes or any scenes, you know, um, having those sort of support systems, even just on set with other people or other members of the crew, I think, really, really helps.
0: Mm-hmm. And so we talked a little bit about, like, the representation and... um know the reception and everything like what is it like kind of being you know an openly trans woman in media and like in kind of public life
1: yeah it's it's interesting because like i've had to think about that so much um just as like a survival response but i haven't necessarily had to implement a whole lot of that thought yet just because you know it's still early days the show's only been out for a month um You know, it's not like I have tabloids camping out in front of my apartment all of a sudden, um, which I'm quite grateful for, (laughs) to be honest. But I've definitely thought about, like, how do you protect yourself as, like, this kind of person, especially within the public eye, because, you know, it's a very volatile time for Bobby and I to, like, be who we are putting the show out. Um, And I think, you know, it is... Putting a tv show out Mm -hmm. under the best of circumstances is i think like vulnerable enough on its own but when you know you have the added complexity of your marginalization thrown into the mix it really makes you you know think very carefully about the ways you're perceived and the ways you're read and like the ways you conduct yourself which you know at its core is like this double standard nonsense that society imposes upon us but also at the same time as i think you know a natural extension not only of like any kind of visibility or public prominence but also just the negotiations that visibly queer people have to make in you know their daily life as it is um you know you're just sort of taking all of those tactics and and scaling them up um and figuring right. out just how to protect yourself because it's a little hard not to feel like um you know Like all your skin has been ripped off, and you're just like walking out into this world of salt or something. You're like, how do we get like a buffer here for this emotionally? Um, That's an amazing metaphor.
0: Oh my god, (laughs) (laughs) that's good. I mean, I'm glad you haven't had to implement things, but it's been more kind of
1: yeah. And I mean, I made choices around my privacy, and you know, really thought ahead about like what do I disclose, what do I not disclose, what are the things I'm going to talk about publicly, you know, what are the things I'm not, you know, thinking about like what are the ways I can protect myself. Um, But beyond those very sort of like passive, more internal boundaries, um, mm-hmm. you know, thankfully we've not had to deal with any like trouble such as such as it is so far. So um, awesome. yeah, it's mostly, to date it's really mostly been about like, I don't know, honoring myself and like how I want to come across and you know, what are the things I want to foreground about myself um, mm-hmm. as we go through this process.
0: Yeah. And I'm curious, so like kind of later in the season, there are, you know, like content warnings on the start of the episodes and they get, you know, Mm -hmm. quite heavy. And I'm curious after you like live in that for, you know, the day, however long you're shooting, um, how do you take care of yourself after that?
1: That is a great question. And I think every, you know, every actor is different on that front and it really, depends on your process to, like, um, I think about, I was watching like a behind the scenes thing about an episode of the show Succession for like this past season that was, you know, this really crazy, dramatic, like emotionally intense episode and you heard all the different actors talking about like, yeah, it was really tough to stay in that for two weeks, like, you know, it was this sort of physical right. trauma I took on versus others saying like, yeah, I just kind of left it at the door, like that was the way to keep it fresh. Um. I'm trying to think like where I ended up on that spectrum for myself, thankfully, you know, I was in a position where there was no scene that I was really, really like dreading doing because it was like too vulnerable or too re-traumatizing or anything. Um, I think, you know, the, the scripts for Tabitha in season one are like quite generous on that front because i think there was also like a desire to just steer away from you know the tropes of trans right. trauma that we see generally um so and now i'm like struggling to think because you know shooting was such a blur and that in my head i'm like what did i even <laughs> do like day to day um i think it really just boiled down to like I was able to incorporate that sort of like emotional self care into like the physical self care I was doing as well. Cause you know, like um, I live with a chronic illness and that was a thing to be managing through the entire process. And so it was fortunate in a way that I had all these like physical tactics set up for when I got home at the end of the day already. Um, because those really allowed me to create like a kind of emotional insulation as well, you know, grounding yourself in you know ritual Mm -hmm. and routine and those like creature comforts I think you know I learned there's a reason that actors are so superstitious a lot of the time um those are the things you really need to like ground yourself with so I think I was very fortunate and I had some of those built in to an extent um for me yeah so I was fortunate to have all of that built in I think what surprised me because you know you can sort of imagine what doing an emotionally demanding mm-hmm. scene is going to be like on some level um what was really new to me was actually just what the emotional demands of being on set were like as a star as like a woman um you know the particular way you treat it and the particular kind of like emotional responsibilities you take on like I really felt like when I wasn't like doing the scenes was the easy part in a sense. And also to be clear, this is not to say that we had like a turbulent environment on set or anything, but I felt really like responsible for everyone else as the person that everyone else is working so, so hard to lift up. So like, you know, you take on this aspect of emotional labor of like wanting to make sure everyone's okay, you know, wanting to make sure you're connecting with everyone and like remembering names and you know, that you're treating everyone like a peer, um, mm-hmm. which is something... I realized very quickly was quite important to me. And I think is true that like, you know, there's maybe this perception that again, actors are like on a pedestal and they're sort of like in this other dimension from everyone else. And the rest of the crew is like down here. Um, But I really felt like a member of the crew in a way. And it was like, even when I'm not doing the acting, it's like important for me to sort of be aware um, of what's going on and, and you know, be you know, just sort of have my eye on everyone and, and make sure everyone's doing okay. I, I felt like a little bit of a set mother in a way, you know, there, there's this element of like gendered labor that was very surprising to me and that again I don't begrudge, I like very, very happily took on. Um mm-hmm. But yeah, that was important to me, but then at the same time, I think also you do have to balance that with those protective mechanisms Um right. you develop as an actor, like I would usually If it was like a busy day for me, I would usually just like put on noise canceling headphones between scenes or something Um, like I would just go off in a corner and like sit by myself sort of to like emotionally reset and get myself into whatever headspace I needed to be in for the next scene. Um, So, a lot of those kinds of tactics as well you keep yourself, you know, very physically insulated and protected and you know you want everything to be warm and cozy and comfy sort of in contrast to like how exposed you are, um, no matter what you're doing, like as soon as the cameras are on you.
0: Right. Yeah. I guess it would help having it kind of already having a routine of self care and then just, you know, adding to that.
1: Yeah. It was a matter of like taking the mechanisms I already had in place and just figuring out in real time, like how to adapt those to set life essentially.
0: Right. Right. And so just because at Outloud we work with youth and families Um, I'm wondering kind of if there, I don't know, is anything that you would want to say to like younger, like trans teens or families who are just kind of figuring this out or any advice that you're like, I did this and I learned this thing that was really helpful.
1: Mm, That's a good question. I know that's a huge question. Yeah, that's a very, very, (laughs) big question. Let me think. And it's also like. Yeah, it's a thing I think about a lot and I almost like don't feel qualified in a way to like say anything to queer trans youth necessarily just because my experience of coming out in transition I think is so far removed from theirs like culturally and logistically like I came out almost a decade ago and just everything was so so different then, you know, mostly for the worse, but there were also you know ways in which it was easier the conversation was very much about like Mm -hmm wait, 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 who the heck are trans people? What's all this all of a sudden? Whereas now I think it's almost like people know <laughs> right. too much, you know? Um, like, and now-
0: Yeah, they have Yeah, the and trans
1: kids especially just have to face like so much scrutiny that it's the double-edged thing of like, it would never have been possible for me to be out as a child. And so I'm very, very glad that young trans people get that. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, they are undergoing That same process under a microscope that like I did not have to contend with. Um, So I don't even like know how to give them advice about that microscope just because that's never something I faced personally. Um, But I was the other day I was doing um, another friend's podcast and was talking about I think it's very especially in this day and age to feel like the world is sort of just constantly ending over and over and over again. right? and the thing i say to myself to sort of give myself some peace of mind within all of that especially as like a queer person is that like sure it sucks that we have to engage in these kinds of processes of survival but at the same thing that is such like a pointed part of our history and you know um like you be it bathroom bills or like it being illegal to be trans in a dozen US states now. Um, Or, you know, going back to the AIDS crisis or even earlier, like like queer people have always sort of been facing their own like constant set of apocalypses in one form or another. And we've Mm -hmm. still found ways to um, band together and endure and survive in spite of all of that. So it's this interesting thing where it's like, everything is unprecedented and nothing is unprecedented at the same time. Like we are going through um, a new and strange version of a thing that we have always been going through different versions of. And, you know, still we persist and still we're able to find joy in spite of that. And so I think, and maybe, you know, this comes off as a bit of like a woo-woo detached from reality bit of consolation, but it's like, you will always have yourself and you will always have your joy and have your community no matter like, what the world throws at you. And especially within the last hundred years, it's a Mm -hmm. very, very crucial part of our history that we have always made it through that one way or another, Um, which is also not to say that making it through is guaranteed, obviously, you know, lots and lots of people have not, but if you're committed to making it through, like it's just, I can't tell you how you're gonna do it, but like, I know you can do it because I did it and many, many people before me did it under far, far worse circumstances, Um, and so just because the thing you are facing is maybe new and alien and unprecedented doesn't mean um, that it's impossible. Like, I think, I want to believe in a world where, you know, queer people are always possible, Um, and I think relying on the idea of that possibility is something that, like, gives me a lot of peace um, when I'm really feeling, you know, morose about the state of things.
0: Right, and I think there's a lot of value just in being like an adult queer person, right? Someone, I mean, I've talked to kids who didn't realize that queer people could grow up, right? Mm. And so I think there's a lot of value in just like you're, you're on CBC, like you're on TV as this trans person for them to see like a very visible representation of like, you know, it does actually get better. That's not just a slogan. Mm -hmm. And I think that that joy you mentioned, like it is kind of an act of rebellion and like not to get too like grandiose about, you know, whatever, Mm -hmm. but like that is kind of why we do career joy at the end of our episodes, right? Is, you know, whatever we've been talking about, even if it's a little bit heavier, like there's still that, yeah, rebellion of being joyful, like in spite, like you said.
1: yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think I do also feel sort of the burden of my position in a very particular way, just because I am, this goes back to sort of that thing about being wary about declaring firsts or whatever. But, you know, I consider myself part of, you know, the first generation of like trans people to be able to grow up in a way Mm -hmm. like where we became ourselves as either teenagers or young adults um and so it's like you know we as the generations go on we get to be ourselves earlier and earlier and earlier in our lives and so on mass we're seeing what it looks like when um you know a bunch of people get to go from young adults to adults as themselves and you know now that I'm hitting the end of my 20s it's this weird thing where and this is also like not to take shine away from like my actual elders but it's like Mm-hmm. Oh. I am suddenly an elder in a sense that I didn't realize just because like I got to get to this age of myself which mm-hmm. you know a lot of people have not necessarily gotten to do. Um they've either not gotten to get to that age or not gotten to be themselves by the time they reach that age. And so I have felt the sort of I've just been asking like a lot of internal questions to myself about like stewardship And now, you know, that I am in this position where, you know, I'm on TV and whatever, like, how can, just how can I use that to contribute? And like, how can I protect and encourage and guide younger people and start to really like, give back what has been given to me um, in a lot of ways?
0: Mm -hmm. And like, I think we're the same age, we're very close to it. And like, Mm -hmm. I remember being in high school, like, you know, not even all that long ago. Um, And there was like, I think it was like front page in the Edmonton journal was talking about someone getting a quote unquote sex change. Like that was front page news, like a little over 10 years ago. And so, yeah, being part of that generation to make that, you know, from front page news, like, oh, isn't this wild to like gender affirming surgeries and things being, you know, just kind of part of you know, Stats Canada's many statistics on healthcare, um, I think, has also been such an amazing change to see.
1: Yeah, I think as easy as it can be to, like, get grim about the state of things, and, like, certainly our show, you know, um, does its fair share of that, like, yeah, it is worth the perspective check of, like, I don't know if there's any, like, young people listening to this, like, yeah, when I was in high school and, like, Two thousand eleven, the only like two out queer girls in the school got like yanked apart from each other in a school dance. Like that
0: happened. We had a decade out queer basically. girls.
1: We did. We had two. We had two. I wasn't okay. one of them yet. <laughs> but it's that's the thing. It was like they were the two and everyone was like, yeah. Oh my god. And immediately the school administration just like pounced on them, which oh, sorry god, to be, yeah, you but... know, relitigating queer trauma, but it is just I think important to acknowledge how i think especially in alberta like how starkly different the conversation was you know not all that long ago within like i imagine most of the people who are listening to this you know their lifetimes like so that too is not to be taken for granted and it goes back to that thing of like Mm -hmm. you know things may be different and new but always i think you know the sort of the median of where things are at is ever so slowly moving upward um to the point where like It's true, it gets better is not just a slogan, but it's also like a a platitude that I can be a little bit hesitant about and Mm -hmm. like a thing I've sort of come to that's the way I like to think about it is like, nothing unilaterally gets better or worse, or like gets better or worse in a single direction. It just everything becomes more in every direction, like, right things are scary and awful in like totally brand new and unexpected ways and things are also like so radically better in new and unexpected ways Um, and I think it's always important to remember both that like, yeah, that we are finding more ways to live and better ways to live longer healthier lives as ourselves um, within this sort of, you know, broadly, let's say worsening climate for the time being.
0: Right? yeah it is funny as an adult seeing you know some of the women i went to high school with popping up on like queer dating apps (laughs) like hey i see you yeah (laughs) um and just kind of being mindful of time is there anything else that you wanted to talk about that we didn't you know touch on or that Mm -hmm. you wanted to say let me
1: think um no not necessarily um um, if there's anything more love you it. want to ask, I'm totally down to talk more, but um, I can't think of anything that I'm like, any big points that I'm missing, as it were.
0: That's fair. What are your cat's names? That uh, keep, Mona I've and seen? Ivy. Mona and Ivy. I love it. Yeah. Um, and since we mentioned Queer Joy, do you have one for this week?
1: Yeah. Um, when you brought that up, I was thinking of, this is not like... Um, An immediate like queer joy thing but over the past couple months, um, sort of one of my favorite albums of this year is an album called Soft Scars by this non binary Singaporean artist named Yule Ooh. and completely blew me away so so good and like never mind the album itself I, I impulsively went to actually like go see them when they came through Toronto on that tour and like Talk about queer youth, like, not only was the content of the album and the performance itself, like, very, very heartening to me, but just, Mm -hmm. like, to see especially how many, like, young out trans people were there, because it was, I didn't realize it was an all-ages show, and I was like, oh, like, half of this is, like, kids, and, like, they're being themselves, like, oh my god, and not only are they being themselves, they're being themselves in an environment that is, like, created for them by someone like them who is, you know writing songs that are coming directly from their experience and like you saw mm-hmm. how strongly i think sort of their articulation of their transness within their own music like resonated with those younger kids because it's like you know big fuzzy blown out pop music for the most part but it's also very raw and real when it comes to discussions of trauma in like a very particular trans focused way and so to see to see that crowd like get to experience themselves being so purely reflected in this form and just Mm -hmm. like the fun they were having with that it was one of those things where it was like oh my god I couldn't imagine being like 17 and going to a concert that like someone like me put on where most of the crowd is people also like me um Mm -hmm. and as much as I did like allow myself like a tiny little bit of grief for that, which I think like naturally you have to, I was also like, "Yeah, thank God this is happening at all." Um, and yeah, that that really really meant a lot to me. So I don't know, go go listen to Soft Scars, great album.
0: <laughs> That's I love music, Rex. Um, yeah, I recently went to Hades Town, and I like in the audience, there were so many visibly like queer people. And like, I feel like theater has always been a very queer space, Mm -hmm. but like the queering of the audience I think is fairly new. So that's been, yeah, really amazing to kind of watch over the last couple of years. Um, But I'm just happy. It's almost Christmas. I love it. I have a Christmas tree up in my (laughs) living room and I get to like sit by the light and, you know, drink warm drinks and watch movies so i think that's mm-hmm. kind of my joy is just that kind of quiet warmth especially because it's been a little bit of a tricky week so yeah, that's been what's bringing me joy
1: nice yeah speaking of movies since i'm a film person i should make a recommendation there um i got Love to see it. the bradley cooper movie maestro over the weekend which okay. is coming to netflix in a couple of weeks and I was like joking to my friends afterwards. I was like, somehow like Bradley heterosexuality Cooper made like one of the definitive queer films of the year. Um, It's a biopic of Leonard Bernstein, the famous conductor who never like identified as such within his own lifetime, but essentially is like coded as a bisexual man, functionally speaking. Um, And so to see like a story about sort of like mid-century queer repression, but also expression um, and for it to like I think represent I think the bind that like a lot of bi people and also specifically a lot of bi men um, feel Mm -hmm. that just does not get represented ever at all to have that come through, even if it wasn't necessarily entirely the point of the movie still to have that come through like a big Netflix movie um, Mm. in a really sort of authentic feeling way to the point where I was like astonished this was made by a straight person. was really, really cool for me, and I think, speaking to what we were talking about earlier, you know, just that sort of cyclical thing of like we've always gotten to be ourselves and always been told not to be ourselves in these different ways, and still we have found found our way towards the beauty in life and in each other, um, despite those forces. Um, very, very cool to to get to see that embedded in this like dorky mu- movie about classical music. <laughs>
0: I love it. That's definitely going to be going on my list. Um, thank you, Lily, for joining me today and talking all about your wonderful show that I'm now going to watch the rest of. <laughs> <laughs>
1: thank you. Thanks for having me. And
0: yeah, thanks everybody for joining us. Um, be kind to yourself and others and we'll see you, I guess, in the new year probably. So, yeah.